On these episodes entitled Dangerous Conversations, we'll be talking to a lot of different people about a wide range of topics and hopefully learning a lot and growing, and through that growth, helping to make the world a better place. Let's get started. On today's episode, I have my friend with me here today, Nancy Moore. We go to the same church, St. John's, and she has such an incredible story that I thought it would be great for her to come on and tell it to us. So I'm I'm very excited, looking forward to y'all getting to hear this. Uh, Nancy, how are you? I'm doing great today. Thank you. Now, it is July 2022. Uh, Nancy, can you tell us why this month is so important? Um, Yes, on July 12th, um, 2014, I made a decision to change my life. Um, So I've been sober eight years as of this month. That is awesome. And uh, what Nancy's going to do, like I said before, is tell us uh, some of that story. And so, uh, Nancy, why don't you tell us uh, just how things uh, came to be the way they are today? So you can go ahead and tell it how you want to tell it. Okay, thank you. Um, First of all, I'm from Coleman, and I'm married to Steve Moore, and we have four children together and five grandsons. Um, I grew up in a loving family, church, and so on. I'm 60 years old. Um, My high school years, um, I started drinking and exploring other things, smoking pot, um, things like that. By my junior year of high school, I had become rebellious, I stayed in trouble a lot, and things proceeded on. I will tell you, the very first time I drank, I was um, in the ninth grade, and I liked what it did for me. It made me feel um, like I could talk, do anything, and I fell in love with drinking. Mm -hmm. As life proceeded on, um, I got grounded a lot um, from my parents. I had a steady boyfriend when I graduated from high school in 1980. Um, I decided the answer to all my dreams was that uh, my problems is that I would get married and move away. Mm -hmm. So, um, 1980, I got married, um, moved to Nashville, and things proceeded on. Um, Within, by the time I was 22, I was involved in a lot of other substances. I had found opiates by then um, and was with a wilder crowd. Uh, That was my life. I was a dental assistant um, and drank on the weekends and at night um, and partied hard. Um, And life proceeded on for me like that. By this time, I had become a blackout drinker also. And if you're not familiar with a blackout drinker, I would drink um, and be functioning, but I don't remember what happened. Um, I know that I was an alcoholic and an addict long before then. Um, 1984, I lost my first job due to my choices, and um, my employer suggested highly that um, that I go seek help. Um, I went to a place and um, told him some information about myself. I filled out the form. 
that asked questions, are you an alcoholic or an addict? And he, he told me I was. I went to a few meetings and um, decided I wasn't one. And life proceeded on, got myself another job. Um, you know, and it was, my, my life consisted of drinking, doing opiates, um, and smoking pot. That was it. I worked, uh, had a job, you know, kept a job, and life proceeded on. In 1987, um, I found out I was pregnant, and um, and I decided at that time that if I could put everything down, and I did put everything down, I put down smoking, drinking, everything, that I must not be an alcoholic or an addict. And everything was great. Uh, my son was born in July of 1988, um, and life was extremely good. It didn't take long till I started back slowly drinking on weekends, um, and, and then it's eased back in to being an everyday thing. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not, you know, happy or about what happened, but I had found opiates again, um, and life was out of control. In November of 1990, I asked for help and I took myself into rehab and I stayed there for 28 days. Um, I got out with the hopes that I was going to be clean and sober and life was going to be great. There's a thing when you, when you get out of rehab, when you do what they've said to do, you have to continue to do it. Mm. You have to change your playmates and your playgrounds and so on. Um, I relapsed on February the 1st, 1991 on my birthday. I decided that um, I wasn't an alcoholic or an addict. Life proceeded on. My husband and I were very toxic together. Um, by 19 um, November of 92, we decided to divorce. And, you know, my family knew that I was out of control. In March of 1993, my parents... Um, decided it was best if I moved back to Coleman and work in a family business. And I know today that they did that in hopes that I would change, but that they could keep an eye on the grandson. Um, and so I moved back. And I hoped that when I came back that I would change and that life would be good. The thing about geographic cures is that um, we take ourselves with us. That's true. And. If you don't change things about yourself, you fall right back into it. Um, life, I went downhill very fast when I moved back to Coleman. I found the people that liked to party like me, um, and I was a weekend hard drinker, an every night drinker. Um, I had had a doctor that put me on Xanax because I was so depressed from my divorce and so on. Um, I visited St. John's occasionally during this time. Um, of course, I hid my drinking, I thought, from my parents, um, but they knew exactly what I was doing. July, um, July 1993, life changed. Um, it was a Sunday. I went to um, Warrior to go get some alcohol, and um, I went into a blackout on my way home from the, from the beer store. I totaled my car, 
It's by the grace of God that I was by myself. My son wasn't with me. Um, how I didn't get a DUI, I don't know. I went to the hospital and, um, you know, I don't remember very much about the wreck. I rem remember very little about being in the emergency room. Um, I know that uh, from what I'd heard, Pastor Bob came, a few other people from the church. Um, I woke up that Monday morning and I knew something was wrong. I didn't remember everything, but I knew something was wrong. Um, my parents came and um, talked to me that day. And it was a, an extremely hard conversation. You know, um, my, my dad told me that um, I was an alcoholic, um, told me a few other things probably, told me he didn't care if I lived or died, but he wasn't gonna let his grandson live like this. And that um, I had a choice. You know, he was, my parents were behind my ex-husband in getting uh, temporary custody of my son. And I thank God that day for tough love. That changed my life. Um, I, my mom helped me go to a doctor, get off the Xanax, and I started uh, my journey of getting myself sober. And, you know, life was really good. You know, I, I did 12-step meetings, and I, I practiced it, I lived it, and, and I got my son back after many months. Um, and I thank God every day for my ex-husband and my parents getting my son away from me. Because mm -hmm. if they had not, I know I would have continued on and the chance I would have died in a car wreck or had him with me. Um, and life was good, you know, it, it proceeded on. Uh, my parents were my biggest cheerleaders on my journey. You know, I have a, a younger brother and a younger sister and they saw things you know, they, they knew that I was an alcoholic and an addict, and they saw what my parents went through. Um, my family supported me the whole way through. Um, you fast forward um, to 2005. You know, I'm a good mom, I'm working, I'm a career woman, um, I go to St. John's, you know, life was perfect. And then I met my husband, Steve Moore, um, the man of my dreams, and Life was great. We got married, and we combined our family. Um, and I proceeded on working and going to church, going to my meetings, and, and life was extremely good for us. Let me tell you one thing. I own everything that happened from this day forward. Um, I have to own everything because it was my choices that mm -hmm. led me to relapse. Mm -hmm. May the 12th, 2008, um, my parents were killed in a plane crash. Wow. And uh, that was the worst thing in my life. Um, we all handle grief differently, and I spiraled out of control. I went to see a doctor for help, and, and again, I own everything that happened. I was put on Xanax, Ambien, antidepressants um, to help me cope. My 12-step friends reached out to me. My church family reached out to me. You know, everybody reached out to me. 
and I kept going more and more withdrawn, depressed. Um, I took the medicine like I was supposed to in the beginning. I'd get three months of prescription, spend 15 minutes. I was at very angry at this time. Uh, I was angry at God. Um, I was angry at the world. And I kept going down, down. Mm. You know, I was involved in a lot of different community projects at this time, Oktoberfest pilot club um, but I kept going down and down you know once you're an alcoholic or an addict you're always one you can either be in recovery or an active addiction in 2010 I can tell you exactly where I was uh, when I drank for the first time again after all those years I was at a high school mini reunion somebody asked me if I wanted a beer and I said that would be great and I liked what it did for me again. Um, you know, I, my adult son had to pick me up because I couldn't drive. Uh, my husband wasn't happy. Um, nobody was real happy with me. We alcoholics and addicts have a good way of manipulating the people in our lives and making them do what we want them to do when we spiral back into active addiction. Um, I decided that I could do controlled drinking hmm. and that I didn't want to be an alcoholic anymore, that I could control it. And I did control it in the beginning. Now, I hid this from my, my brother and my sister, that part of my family, because they saw firsthand how crazy I was back then. Um, you know, my, I manipulated my husband a lot um, and convinced him I could do it. And I did it in the beginning. A lot of people in Coleman, uh, my friends, knew where I had been and where I, you know, when I was an alcohol, when I got sober in 93. I convinced them. I convinced them that I could do this. Um, and I did for a little bit. Then it started getting a lot more. By the time I was 2012, I found opiates again. We have a way of finding the people that are just like us. Um, 2013, uh, I became an unemployable. That was a first for me. Uh, my husband saw how crazy I was, um, no more drinking. My brother, my sister, everybody knew that I was in active addiction again. Everybody in Coleman knew I was in active addiction again. I had a lot of people reach out to me, but I had this and I turned everybody away. By, um, you know, I was the talk of the town in Coleman and it wasn't a good talk. Um, Life went on. Uh, I was asked to go to rehab. I was asked to do this, to do this, and I turned everybody down that I had it. 2014, life was extremely out of control. Um, my my brother and sister were doing tough love, and a lot of my friends were doing tough love with me, um, and and I appreciate that. July of 2014. Um, 
I had several people, a really good friend of mine that I was cleaning houses for, talk to me. And it was as if my mother was talking to me, uh, that I needed to get my life together. Um, went on a few days. I couldn't remember one day how many pills I had taken, and I was afraid I was going to die. Um, so I reached out for help, um, and I asked, called my sister-in-law. My husband and I weren't really talking at the time, and I asked for help that I was ready to go to rehab. And that was on um, July 10th. July 12th, I was in a car on my way to Panama City to go to rehab far enough away that nobody could come and get me. And um, I didn't know when I left if I had a marriage to come back to. I didn't know anything. And that's when my life started changing for the best. I was still angry at God at this time. I played the victim on everything. When I got into rehab a couple of days later, um, when the fog started clearing, I was to write down everything that I'd been taking and uh, and the the doctor asked me how was I alive and asked right. me about my relationship with God and told me that how could I be angry with God that God had saved me for overdosing or killing somebody that um, I should be dead and at that time something changed in the next day or two and I you know, got on my knees and I prayed for the first time in many years for God to help me, to take the desire away, and things started changing. Wow. Um, you know, God had had that life preserver out there so many times, but I had to take a hold of it, um, and I had to ask Him for help, and that's when I started doing those things. Um, I was in Panama City, that far away from Coleman. God had his hand in a lot of other things. Um, I was at a grocery store, and there was some ladies from Coleman, from Restoring Women's Outreach, that were there and saw me. And so that's when some other God was working in my life when I didn't realize it. I came home from rehab, um, and I couldn't get into outpatient therapy, so, and I needed it, and this was in, um, I talked to Carol Berry, who at that time was uh, with Restoring Women's Outreach. She made it possible that I could go to the counseling with those ladies on Wednesdays and Saturday mornings, mm -hmm. and that started changing my life. Um, I was still not able to come into church because I didn't think I was worthy, but I was praying to God, okay? I asked God every morning to keep me sober and every night thanked Him. So it was baby steps going forward. Um, I can't remember exactly when I decided that I could step foot in this church, but I can tell you the song that was playing. It was Oceans by Hillsong, and something came over me that day and I knew that everything was going to be okay, and then I could come into church, and I was worthy to be here. Mm -hmm. um, I continued to do 12-step meetings. Um, my pilot club ladies 
welcome to Meet Back. I started doing community work within the community. Um, my relationship with my family got better. Um, my husband, my adult kids were my biggest cheerleaders. My relationship with my brother and sister was restored. Um, I was involved in women's fellowship. I just mm. started getting involved. I threw myself into making me a better person. Mm. I started being involved with RWO more. I was, um, you know, everything God had a hand in. I was asked to be on the board, um, and then I was asked to be the president of the board. That's not me, that's God. And Restoring Women's Outreach is a sober living facility for ladies, and I'm very involved in that. Um, my, Like I said, I'm involved in Pilot Club, um, and I was still doing community work for Oktoberfest. You know, I'm still not working in the public, but I'm out there, and I'm trying to be a better person. You know, my journey has been... Um, full of gratitude and I owe everything to God um, you know today um, heavily involved with restoring women's outreach um, I'm employed now and I have to tell you um, Christy Turner and Kelly Pulliam who I work with at Coleman Park and Rec they um Christy came to me and asked me what I come to work about a year and a half, two years ago. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Um, and they asked me again. And so now I'm the sponsorship coordinator for Park and Rec. Um, and it's given me more self-worth as to who I am. I know that I'm an alcoholic and an addict. I'm in recovery. I can hold my head up high and I can walk in any place and not be ashamed of who I was, but proud of who I am today through Absolutely. God's work. Um, you know, the, um, I can, I'm extremely grateful for everything that God has done for me. Um, I try to help within the community. Um, my girls at RWO, when we have something going on with Park and Rec, I get them involved with Strawberry Festival, Oktoberfest, Christmas in Coleman, um, that they can see that there's life, mm. that there is good life, and we can have fun. Oh, definitely. Um, they help me with my hay people. They help me with a lot of things. I have a Christmas party every year for the ladies. Um, it's just, I'm extremely grateful for everything that God has done for me. Um, I'm an asset today and not a liability. Um, you know, I fell so far down in 2013 and 14. I became the morning drinker. Um, you know, I'm a good person today. Yeah. And it's all through God's work and my 12-step program and the people believing in me. Um, you know, my family is my biggest cheerleaders. My church family has been my biggest support. Um, and, and I'm just 
full of gratitude. I know that people praying for me saved me. Um, you know, there is a lot of the people that saw me fall were there for me when I came back. So I live every day trying to be a better me. I fall short a lot of days. Some days I have to start my day over um, and ask God for help. I can tell you I've not had a desire to drink or take something mind-altering since I was in rehab in 2014. That, you know, and I'm wonderful. full of gratitude. That's wonderful. Nancy, thank you for telling your story. That was incredibly beautiful. Uh, what role did your faith play in your story? I guess seeing all the ups and the downs, like where was God in all that? Um, when I came when I came to in rehab, when some of the, after detox, when some of the, my mind wasn't as foggy and I was seeing where God had been with me, you know, there were some verses that came to my mind. Um, Ephesians, you know, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God with transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Um, another one was Psalms 34. Um, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Mm -hmm. Those who look at him are radiant and their faces shall, ne ne shall never be ashamed. You know, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. You know, I always knew that God was with me. Um, and things started coming. You know, I had to, I prayed a lot when I got, you know, when I was in there, because in the beginning I didn't know what, if I had a family to come home to. Mm. Um, as things, as my, my walk started going, and I say at my walk, when I came home um, to my husband, you know, when I came home and I started this journey, um, and when I started stepping back into the church, I knew that God had always been there for me, and he hadn't left me. I had left him, but he was always waiting on me. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, I've, it's kept me going through all of this. I will tell you another thing, too, that um, on my journey, you know, I learned that bad things happen to good people, you know. I had been angry at God because of my parents' death. Um, things just happened. And that was, um, peace came over me with that. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just all this anger that I had had gone and all this depression. So, and like I said before, you know, every morning I prayed, ask, you know, I asked God to keep me sober today you know, to keep the desire away. Because every day I have, I can go to the left or the right, or I can go on God's God's journey. Hmm. And at night I thank Him. Um, so that's, God has been with me the whole time. God's been, God's been with you, definitely. Uh, so moving to more, I guess, if a, uh, moving in more of the direction of advice, maybe nitty gritty details, 
what were uh, thinking about your story what were some of the best ways the people around you loved you through the tough uh through the tough times one thing you often mentioned was tough love and how you needed that what were some of the best ways the best advice you were given the best ways of helping you what, what was the best things that people told you to help you um The tough love, it was, um, I could not, my, my family wasn't gonna enable me. Um, my brother and my sister and other family members, they they were there through email or a phone call, but our relationship was broken. And when, you know, they kept telling me when I decided to get my life together, they would be there. Um, and so I understood that. Um, I lost some close friends, I'll say, because they didn't want to be around me with what I was doing, and I knew that. Mm -hmm. So the tough love, the people weren't enabling me. I know that people continued to pray for me. Okay. Um, I had a lot of people within the community that met with me, and they planted seeds. Okay. Um, and they planted seeds about where my drinking was and my behavior and and I appreciate that that they did that um, you know my husband when he found out how crazy I was you know nobody drank around me anymore the last year of my drinking was me myself and I mm. so I hid it um, so the people all around me quit enabling me um, and were, if you don't get it together, we're not gonna be here. Got you. So, but when I decided to get it together, they were there. Wonderful. So I hear a tough love, I hear patience, and I hear, a, well, let's just say love in general. Uh, a lot of people showed you. Yes, and I will tell you this, I, I would go to a meeting uh, a 12-step meeting during that year before I went off to rehab again. Um, and I would promise I was going to start all over again. The people in those in those 12-step programs would, were there for me, but I kept turning away. Mm -hmm. They tell me I could come back, I could start over. Those seeds were planted, but it took me wanting to do it. Nobody gets sober until they decide they want to. You can't make somebody get sober. They That's have to true. want it. Yeah, and for those of you out there, and maybe there are situations in your life that where you, you recognize some of these things and, and you want to do the work for the loved one in your life. You, you can't always do, actually, you can't ever do that. It, it comes from them, and the best thing you can do is love them through that. And so I'm, I'm, I'm hearing that has to come from inside of you, right, by the grace of God. And so I guess the flip side of this is I know a lot of people mean well when they give advice or they mean well when they try to help. But what were some things that the people around you did during the tough times that were not helpful? It, we don't, we're not, we make bad choices, okay? Um, and when we're in the horrible act of addiction, um, 
we want to stop, but we can't. You know, every morning I was going to, I would promise I'm not going to do it, but I was so into that addiction and different voices. You know, I was told if I loved my family, I would stop. If I, I could just stop by myself. Um, but I didn't want to stop, I guess, deep down. Um, I thought I knew it all. I know the people were trying to help me. Um, so, so guilt tripping didn't work a lot. Guilt tripping doesn't help. Uh, trying to make you feel bad about the type of person you are mm. doesn't help. Um, and then there were also some people that um, that knew I was deep down in it. And I would get my opiates from, uh, and um, they knew I was really bad, but they continued to sell to me because I wasn't getting them um, from a prescription. Yeah. So they were my friends, but they weren't my friends. Got you. They they, they seemed were, like your friends on the surface, but. Yeah. When I got sober, they weren't there. They weren't my friends at all. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, yeah. So it, it's hard. You can't. And and everybody means well when they're trying to tell you when you when you're watching a loved one go through the addiction, the process. Um, they all mean well, but the guilt doesn't work. The um, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this if you don't do that. It's so hard when you're right there in it to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I appreciate that. Uh, that's very helpful. So what message would you tell younger Nancy if you could talk to her? This could be ninth grade Nancy. This could be uh, a younger Nancy who just moved or Nancy that had just moved back to Coleman. What message would you tell younger Nancy? High school Nancy, I would have told her, um, stay with the other friends. Stay with the other friends. And not the uh, the other friends that, that I decided made me feel cool, mm. where I started into my substances. Um, I would have listened to my parents more. The, the Nancy... In the 80s, that was living in Nashville, I would have tried to stay clear of the wilder crowd. I wish uh, I'd never start, I wish I'd never tried opiates um, because that was my downfall for many years. The, the Nancy that came out of rehab the first time, um, I wish that I had done what they had said. Kept it going. Kept it going and got rid of old playmates and playgrounds. The Nancy that got sober in 93, when 2008 had hit, I wished I had um, reached out to my church, my 12-step friends, and told them how, how much I was really struggling and that I had uh, done whatever it took to, 
keep my recovery. But, you know, everything, sometimes things happen for a reason. Definitely. Um, my relapse and coming back has made me a um, stronger person. It's made me a more grateful person. It's made me see life differently um, and grasp it with everything I've got. Mm, that's, that's wonderful. I, I guess, uh, let's say there's a young lady who comes to you and she's struggling with drinking or uh, drugs, whatever it might be. Uh, what might you say to that person? Actually, I have two ladies I'm working with right now that are struggling. Uh, there we go. Um, you can get off the elevator anytime you want to. And when I say that, um, you don't have to go all the way to the bottom and and be that person. Uh. Do whatever it takes to get help when you know that you're an, you're an alcoholic or an addict. Go to 12-step meetings. Don't drink. Um, it gets worse every time. You know, I've got you know, a couple of ladies that are, they're struggling. And we talk a lot. Um, I see myself in them. You have to want, want it more than you want to drink. And to get down on your knees, ask God to help you. And if you have to take it five minutes at a time, reach out to those people. Don't drink. Don't use. Um, it gets better over time, but you have to do the work. And that's what I would tell them. You know, I was, like I said, I got a couple of ladies right now that are struggling. They know that they have a problem, um, but I don't know if they're quite ready. But mm. you don't have to go all the way to the bottom. Got you. And then uh, I guess the. The final question I have for you is, let's say you're a mom or a dad or a brother or a sister, and, and one of them comes up to you and says, Nancy, someone in my house or a close friend is really struggling with drinking or drugs or whatever it might be. What would you tell someone who's right in it, like as maybe a family member that they know and they love, what would you tell them to do to help? There are programs for the family, 12-step, mm. and it's um, Al-Anon or Naranon. Okay, we have some great groups here. It's a 12-step program for the family members that need to know how to help their loved one. Um, I suggest they go to those. I suggest that um, as much as you can, you love the person but you don't love the disease. Hmm. You have to do that tough love. Um, don't enable them. Mm -hmm. If they're, you know, if they're living with you, don't give them the money to go buy their their things. Um, but those groups can help you. But the most thing is that you can know is that that person has to want to get help for themselves. Yeah. Um, you can't make anybody get sober as hard as it is. And I suggest you go get, um, talk to some people that 
know all about that. The best thing that helped my husband and, and my family is when they went to those, pro, those groups when I was in rehab. It helped them learn how to understand me. Um, and it's, it's really hard. I mean, sometimes you have to watch somebody fall down before they can get up. Um, you know, if you, that's, that's all I can say about that. Uh, friends, uh, it comes back to something that I often say with the people that I've mentored and I've discipled is you play the long game. Uh, you work, you stay with people and you love them for, for the long haul. They make a mistake, they, uh, it, or you make a mistake. Believe me, people have to stay with you too. Uh, you know, uh, and, and God does this with us. Uh, he plays the long game with us that slowly as the years go by, the Holy Spirit, which lives inside of us, uh, slowly is changing us to be more like Jesus. And we can't often tell day by day, but then through the years, just like Nancy talked about, she can look back and see where God was moving and working in certain points in her life. And so we have to keep that perspective. And sometimes we, we're, we get gripped and controlled by the moment and we get frustrated. Why, why isn't my life going how I want it to? But you have to stay in it for the long haul, whether it's with yourself or with a loved one who's struggling. So I see a lot of beauty in, in your story, Nancy. And so I want to thank you for uh, coming on to the podcast and sharing it. And I, and I want to say one thing. Um, I'm very open about my journey in hopes that it will help someone. If you have some a loved one that you think has a problem, um, give them my number, give them my name. Um, I'll be glad to talk to anybody or I can get them in the right direction to go. Okay. Uh, there is help out there. Some people are ashamed and I've had a couple that say, oh, but what if somebody sees me go to these meetings or this or that? Um, most everybody knows, but it's better to get help than to not. Yes. Um, so um, just know that there is hope. Um, I have a beautiful life in recovery. Um, you know, there is hope, there is joy, there is redemption. Um, it's good. It's good. And uh, another thing I'm hearing is uh, you don't have to do it alone. No. It's, it's you have people who uh, want to help. They, uh, maybe they're also struggling with you. You have to be careful about that at some points, but, but there are people who, who just want to form a community with you so that people you can talk to and vent to and, and um, all, all those things. But anyways, friends, that's, uh, that's all for me today. I, I hope you enjoyed the episode. And, uh, and Nancy, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Nathan, for having me. I've um, really enjoyed it, and I hope it helps someone. Thank you again. Absolutely. Well, friends, that's all for today. Keep on coming back as the weeks go by. We'll have more episodes for you. I'll talk to you later. Get it.